BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This Ben Jarofsky Show, Benny J Bonus Interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show as I speak. It is Friday, April 17th, but of course you're listening to it anytime. It's a bonus segment. It's a podcast. Probably be listening to this thing in 20 years and people are going, coronavirus? What was that? Let's hope that's what you're saying in 20 years. <laughs> uh, as we do with all our bonus guests, I ask our distinguished guest to introduce him or herself. So distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Hi, this is Candace Castillo, um, a board member for United Working Families, Chief of Staff for All the Women, Jeanette Taylor. How are you, Ben? I'm uh, safe and secure so far. Candace, how are you doing? Are you safe? I am safe. All right. I don't know how secure I am. <laughs> uh, and uh, there's so much to talk about. I have a whole list of things uh, I want to get to. Uh, we want to talk, you know, Candace Castillo is a regular on this show. Uh, we do a lot of talk about national politics. Uh, Candace was, uh, was Elizabeth Warren supporter. Elizabeth Warren is not in the race anymore. Joe Biden is the nominee, so we'll talk about that. Uh, we will talk about uh, Aldermanic Prerogative. Uh, as she said, Candace Castillo is chief of staff to uh, Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor, uh, JT, as we call her on the Ben Jarofsky Show. That's how we, we refer to her. She should have been on the list of 50 most powerful women in the city of Chicago. We'll get into that as well. And get uh, <laughs> Candace's thoughts on all kinds of political issues, local and national. That's the beauty of uh, having Candace on as a guest, because she can handle the local and the national. So which one do you want to start with, Candace? Uh, local or national? I'll let you pick. Let's it. start national, because you asked me a question. You said, am I safe and secure? And I said, I don't know how secure... I am. Mm -hmm. And that's because Trump is president. And he makes it abundantly clear every day that the only security he cares about is his own. The only safety he cares about is his own. Mm -hmm. um, and trying to lift these orders in all of these states, these stay-at-home orders and these businesses being shut down just shows He's looking out for himself, his bottom line, and people who have incomes that match his. That's it. All right. Now, this this uh, theme, this of a split in America that's becoming more obvious uh, with the day, is really coming home to me uh, today, Candace. And I'll let, I'll do a little lead up uh, on Thursday. I'm losing track of time, or maybe it was Wednesday. There was a protest in Michigan, uh, Operation Gridlock, where a bunch of Trump supporters got in their cars and clogged up the roads around the, the Capitol, uh, put, trying to put pressure on the Democratic governor to open up the state and rescind the stay-at-home order. Uh, since then, uh, Donald Trump has signaled that he, too, uh, is uh, supporting that initiative, that movement. Uh, he's asked for people to... Join the movement in Michigan, Minnesota, and Virginia, states with uh, republic uh, excuse me, with Democratic governors, I might add, swing states uh, with uh, Democratic uh, governors. So he's putting political pressure on them. Uh, the governor of Texas has said he's uh, going to rescind the uh, stay-at-home order. So this is becoming a political issue. It's, mm -hmm. And there's a certain amount of madness here, Candace, that is really hard for me to accept because on the one hand here in Illinois, we have our governor Pritzker and our mayor Lori Lightfoot 
making commercials telling us, stay at home, be patient, stick with it. We're going to be safe if we all act together. And on the other hand, we have the most powerful person in the United States saying, nah, nah, that's like kind of hype and a hoax and let's get back to work. How do you deal with this, Candace? How do we deal with this as, so, on a political level and take, a health level? Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Let's take Michigan, right? Let's, let's look at Michigan. Michigan has had over 2,000 deaths, about 2,000 deaths from coronavirus. We've had 1,000. If you look at the pictures from that rally in Lansing, Michigan, it was overwhelmingly male and overwhelmingly white. I bet you those people in Detroit, Flint, Saginaw, or parts of Lansing weren't out there saying open us back up because they are not feeling the brunt of this like those black and brown communities in Detroit, Lansing, Saginaw, Flint um, are. They're just not. So, yeah, they're saying open it back up. Uh, Give us Michigan their freedom. To what, to what cost? To what extent? It doesn't make any sense. I applaud um, Governor Pritzker, but I also applaud governors like Gavin Newsom, who took measures early, who now has a committee who's saying, okay, if we open, this is how, this is the most strategic way to open, not like the governor in Florida just opening the beaches back up this evening in Florida. That's not smart. And yes, it's a partisan issue and it's a race issue. As soon as it came out that more black and brown people are succumbing to the disease, it became a race issue. So... I'm not. I'm not surprised by that at all. Explain. Go to a little de- uh, detail. Uh, when once it became obvious that more black people are dying from the virus than white people, how does that play out politically for the Republicans? So it played into the white supremacy agenda. See, we told you all. It's not going to affect you all. It's. It's, it's affecting those poor folks and those black and brown folks. It's not getting to us. It's, it's not getting to us. It's those people that live in those cramped cities. It's not us who live on a dairy farm, or it's not us who live in the suburbs. It's those people. And as soon as it became a those people type thing, from that day, you saw some of these restrictions. Oh, well, that's that's even when testing lagged off. Indiana still has received more tests from the federal government than Illinois had. And that has to do with the Republican governor. That also has to do that Illinois is much more browner. Indiana. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the sickness here is that it's a virus that does not care about the person's skin color. The sickness exactly. here. Exactly. You know, it <laughs> Exactly. It does not care if you are black or white. It does not care. The illness does not care. How you are treated by people or the treatment of your pre-existing condition that reveals the outcome. If you have undiagnosed diabetes and high blood pressure, yes, you are more susceptible to succumbing to this. If you do have diagnosed diabetes or high blood pressure and you're under a treatment of a doctor that you can go to on the regular basis because you have health insurance, then, or your doctors listen to you differently because you are a white man than they do black women. I mean, that accounts for a whole lot, but of course, this is America. Well, and so mm-hmm, go ahead. 
so it becomes everything becomes a partisan issue and everything becomes an issue about money. Even the money that the federal government and the state gave to small businesses, I'm waiting for the statistics to come out about it, but I'm pretty sure it overwhelmingly went to white businesses. Well, you just raised a topic, uh, and I won't go too deeply into this. I talked about this earlier today. Uh, my wife is a small business person. She has a hair salon, and she applied for that, didn't get it. And she was so mad, okay, <laughs> when she saw that uh, the big steakhouse, Ruth Chris, got, I forget, $20 million, I want to say, and Potbelly got. And she should be. <laughs> and she should be. Yeah. She should be pissed. <laughs> she she should be. Yeah. Absolutely. She should be. We are mom and pops. Those are the people. Your, your wife that owns a hair salon. Um, my friend that owns a local bar. I have another friend that owns a restaurant that's doing takeout right now. Those are the people that keep the lifeblood of our economy going. Not Ruth Chris. Ruth Chris has enough money for overcharging me for salmon. So, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you could pay the employees while overcharging uh, Candace for salmon. And I, the one time I went there, they overcharged me in the steak. Yeah. So between the, your salmon and my steak, but no, I, uh, I, listen, I, that was, I wasn't planning to go there. Uh, but this is, this is why I really hope our, our Congress, uh, Congress people, Congress men and women, our senators, um, stay on the the job here, Candace. This is this one particular program. They spend all the money on that first uh, allotment. Okay, many many businesses like your friends and my wives, they're they're shuttered. They're not. Their people yeah. are not getting paychecks, and it's not their fault that they had a shutter was because of the pandemic. It's because of the virus. So there should be another allotment of money that comes out, particularly since so much of that money that went out the first time went to businesses that aren't small. Loopholes, right? But then, I mean, mm -hmm. so another expensive uh, steakhouse in Chicago is Chicago Chop House. Now, they only have one Chicago Chop House. And yes, they are also expensive, but the food was excellent. Um, <laughs> if they would have gotten it versus a Ruth Chris, yes. I could understand that. Ruth Chris is a chain with hundreds of restaurants. Yeah. And the Chicago Chop House, which literally, I spent, it was a birthday meal for a boyfriend at the time. I spent $300 on dinner. But but it's one. It's independently owned. Yeah. It's independently run. Even now when it's like I try to do takeout once a week to support a business, I'm not going to these chains. I'm just not. They can survive. It, you know, it, I'm amazed who may not survive. Yeah. It, you're a local buyer that may not survive. It's not the big chain. Yeah, it's funny. We're doing the same thing. We go to like, uh, there's some Chinese restaurants. God bless them. They're open. We go there uh, once a week on Saturday because, <laughs> you know, we're not making a lot of money these days, uh, Candace, and we're like everybody else in this country. Uh, but you're absolutely correct. The point about the steakhouse is not that it's a big ticket item steakhouse. It's that it's a chain and they, they took advantage of a loophole in the law. Uh, in mm -hmm. which, which, which says that um, uh, if a if the restaurant doesn't have 500 employees at at one establishment, then it's eligible. Uh, so if you if it's a you don't have one, there's not one restaurant with 500 employees. They get away with it, even though I don't. Know, I think there's 1,500 total, maybe even more yeah. than that. So they, which they, makes me wonder how many of Trump restaurants that he owns was also eligible for this money. Yeah. 
So, you know, listen, I, I made the comparison. It's just like the TIF program in Chicago, which is intended for the poorest neighborhoods and somehow other goes to the wealthiest mm-hmm. neighborhoods. And here we have this program mm-hmm. that's supposed for small businesses and somehow goes uh, to the larger businesses. Uh, it's the loopholes are, are are killers. But the madness that I was talking about before we went on this tangent, uh, Candace, is the madness, the, 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 the assumption that somehow or other, because the coronavirus uh, because COVID-19 hasn't hit hardest uh, in Trump country, uh, in Trump areas, that it is an issue for them, as though it couldn't just happen. It, like in a month from now, the news stories may be that small towns, that Trump areas are being hit hard with the virus. Do you follow what I'm saying? And, yeah. Go and ahead. unfortunately, I think they will be. And the South will be hit hard. What people don't understand is Trump now wants to send ventilators to Russia. Um, what they don't understand is our rural hospital system has been absolutely devastating. Mm-hmm. So not only do we not have hospitals in black and brown neighborhoods, on the south and west side of Chicago, you don't have hospitals or big hospitals in southern Illinois and places. You don't have them in rural parts of Indiana or Wisconsin or Michigan. And Lord forbid if you have to go, and when we talk about the south, diabetes, high blood pressure runs rampant in many places, many small towns in the South, many small towns everywhere. But we're not talking about that. We're missing that point. And as long as we miss that point, we will be in a world of hurt. I think we are way too too much on trying to open everything up now. It's just too much. It's going too far. All right. Now, what message would you like to hear the Democratic nominee, Joe Biden, say it to this point. Because we've discussed this a lot in the show over the last couple of weeks. I've been making fun of uh, Dems. Uh, I love making fun of Dems, uh, uh, Candace. But very cautious <laughs> Democrats uh, who uh, who tell me, Ben, it's uh, you, should, you should leave politics completely out of this. And we should all come together and support our president at this time. And meanwhile, the president is putting politics into it. Uh, is making this a political uh, fight, is trying to create a movement, a counter-movement, which undercuts the very message he's he's supposedly delivering about how we should be staying home and being safe. Uh, so he's sending out a, a giant mixed message. So what would you like to hear Joe Biden say at this moment in time? Well, can I first address the Democrats that say that? Yes, please do. <laughs> Feel free. Does Dennis have the bleep button ready? <laughs> uh, well, it is a podcast. He doesn't have to use it. Yeah, they said. are full of sugar, honey, iced tea. Like the first letter, each one of those words. That is bullshit. Yeah. That, they are so full of it. It's this whole, this whole, well, we should support our president. Well, arms around the nation. Fuck that. He has never put his arms around the nation until he put his arms around a flagpole of Smile Creek, which I hope they burn that flag after that, literally, because that's the way you're supposed to get rid of a flag. Not that he did anything great. He has never cared about this whole nation. He has cared about the people that he felt was going to vote for him or that he could get a vote for or for somebody that would do something for him. He's never cared about the entire nation. Not one day of his life. Now, what would I like to hear Joe Biden say? Um, you know, so I watched Morning Joe. Joe Biden was on Morning Joe yesterday. And he did something that was extra presidential to me. And he's been a vice president of the most, Killer in chief, right? Consoler in chief is what they used to call Obama. He talks about how his grandkids, who are lucky enough to live a mile away, come in his backyard and they sit in the backyard while they sit on the porch and they talk. They social distance and they talk. 
that's what we need. We, we call every day. We need to hear that. But I also want to hear him say, maybe I was wrong. This is a time that we talk about health care for all. This is a time that we strengthen Obamacare, but talk about a single-payer system. This is a time that we do, we talk about those things because these pre-existing conditions that people had is what's killing them when they get to this virus. So let's sit down and let's talk about that. Let's hash that out. I want to hear him say these colleges, like University of Chicago, who hasn't stopped um, telling people that they got to pay tuition for the rest of the year. These colleges, he needs to say, that's wrong. We need to talk about paying for free college for all. I, I want to hear him say that. I want to hear him because... I mean, you say I was a warm person. I'm a policy person. So I like a lot of what Warren said. I think her plans to get to some of Bernie's policies were better. But I still like the policy. It's time that he has to sit down and a real review of the policy. And who would ever think I would say this? Because I can't say it, Andrew Yang. <laughs> but. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I didn't know that. Go ahead. I mean, <laughs> oh, God, I can't stand him on so many levels. Even the whole math button. It, okay, anyway. But a universal basic income, th- this is a time for that conversation. That $1,200 check was great for those who lost their jobs, can't put food on the table, mm-hmm. but it was a joke in a lot of places to a lot of people. Most people in the city of Chicago couldn't even pay their rent with that $1,200 check that they wanted to. Uh, I cannot let this moment pass without, I, I know I probably should let the moment pass, move on, but what do you got against Andrew Yang? I, we've never had, all the time you've coming on the show, I don't think you've ever let that cat out of the bag. What do you got against Andrew Yang? His, everybody talks about how bad Bernie, supposed Bernie bros are, which is a label they were given. Mm-hmm. The Yang Yang is that much worse. I don't think, so when Andrew Yang talks about universal basic income, he also talks about getting rid of all social safety nets, which is an asinine idea. And that's, that's the part. That's the part that grind my gears. And then he, did he endorse Biden over Bernie and Bernie was still in? Yes. He was, I'm pretty sure he was one. Everybody did that except for uh, Tulsi and uh, Elizabeth Warren, who didn't endorse anybody. So, right. Yeah. Well, Tulsi was, Tulsi is a waste of time, but literally. But, I mean, you endorse. Biden, but policy-wise, everything you were talking was way Bernie. Mm-hmm. Do you care about the policy, or do you care about maybe potentially getting a nod or a job in the administration? Probably the the nod or the job. So let's let's just, the nod and yeah, the job, yeah. of course. Yeah, uh, and also realistic. So, realistically, at that time, Bernie, it was obvious that Biden was going to win. Even I. Concede, even I uh, could concede, uh, Candace, that Bernie was not going to win. Now, I was. I, mean, ha- I tell people all the time, I can count and I can read a map. Yeah. Like this, this wasn't rocket science. I can count and I can read a map. Yeah. But but I like the fact that Bernie stayed in. I like the fact, in particular, that he stayed in long enough for me to get a chance to vote for him in Illinois. And I. I liked the fact that I could vote for him and send that little message. And it was a very small message. You know, it was a drop in the ocean uh, to the Democratic Party uh, to the point that you were making, that the Democratic Party should not abandon its principles and throw away its values and uh, discredit the movement that Bernie uh, helped spark, which is a movement for, in one particular instance, for uh, Medicare for all. And it's so important right now, we're in the middle of this pandemic, that the Democrats be the party that provides health care for people. And I do I agree with you that uh, Joe Biden, 
I don't think there would be any shame for Joe Biden to say, you know what, I reconsidered uh, my attitude toward uh, Medicare for all in the midst of this plague, this pandemic. I, I, Candace, I don't think uh, you've been in campaigns. I don't think that would be a, a tough message to sell to you. No, and not only do I, I think it would give him some kudos. See, here's the here's here's the biggest difference between Trump and Biden, which anybody who follows me on Facebook knows that I the Bernie trolls really got to me the day the day after Bernie dropped out of the race of I'm not going to organize or I'm done with this. I'm voting for the Green Party or I'm voting for Trump. Mm-hmm. Here's my thing. I do not believe that we can't push Biden. Period. I do not believe that he is unmovable. Will he go as far as you want him to go? Probably not. Not going to say that he will. But can we push him to put people around him that might help get him there or closer to what we want? Yes. Can we get him closer to what we want and make sure we get what we want in 2024? Yes. Are we going to get that at all with Trump? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. In fact, things will get worse. I mean, so should we stop organizing for an issue? No. We shouldn't stop organizing. We shouldn't stop fighting. And we shouldn't stop pushing. We should not stop asking Biden the tough questions. We should not just give him a pass. But at the same time, we should be lovingly pushing him to the right side of of where he should be. Instead of just saying, oh, I'm not voting for him. There's no way. My issue is dead. Guess I'm waiting till 2024. That's crazy. Yeah, but That's I, crazy. I, I, uh, the whole issue of with trolls uh, on social media, I don't know how what portion of the voting population they represent. So I, I'm always cautious. Uh, putting too much stock in them and and that said i think that uh, joe biden there's a reality is that the certain percentage of people who voted uh for bernie sanders have no intention whatsoever for voting for joe biden so i wouldn't trip oh, too sure. much on that it's just that's the reality yeah oh sure oh sure and you have to move but i mean as an organizer right because at the end of the day i might have some different titles now i'm still an organizer as an organizer, the things that I hold dear, I hold dear. I will still organize around them. I haven't been a charter school organizer, organizing teachers in charter schools since, Jesus, uh, 2010. But if you tell me, hey, Candace, we need you to go out there and do that, you can give me a clipboard and some membership cards and know that I'm going to knock on doors and I'm going to get it done. I'll never stop being an advocate for them, even if I'm not knocking on doors anymore. So things I feel passionate about, I'm still organizing for. Things that I know that need to change, I'm still organizing for. All right. uh, You don't just give it up. I've got two more national questions before I uh, take the turn to the local. And uh, the one is the uh, has to do with the best message Joe Biden can convey through his choice uh, as a running mate. And he's already said he's going to pick a woman. So if he doesn't pick a woman, man, <laughs> that'll really hurt. It'll be like the worst thing he could do. You know, having said he was going to, having put that out there during a debate with Bernie, uh, not go through on that would be horrible. So I, I assume he's going to stick to that. So in terms of uh, the best message you could send to uh, the, the the Bernie Elizabeth Warren side of the party in terms of uh, balancing what his strengths are by uh, working against his weaknesses and all that, who do you think would be the best choice uh, for Joe Biden to make as his running mate? 
Jeanette Taylor. <laughs> That's correct. Um, <laughs> Alder woman Jeanette, JT as we call her. You know, I threw her name out there. I said, I don't know, Candace, I'm not sure uh, some of those voters I mean, in Michigan are ready for Jeanette Taylor. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Give me another shot at it. Give me another shot at it. You ready? Yes. Stacey Davis-Gate. That's correct. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right, another <laughs> I, I, I put Stacy was on my list, wasn't she, D? Yeah, so Stacy Davis Gates was on my list. All right, so you, we see that. Honestly, I, yeah. If I'm honest, uh huh. If I'm honest, yes. It would be Stacy Abrams. I would love to see Elizabeth Warren in a cabinet position. Definitely love to see Elizabeth Warren in a cabinet position. I am not, I, I like Kamala. I wanted to like her. I am not a fan at all. Um, her policies in California have hurt a lot of black and brown people. So as much as I wanted to like her in that moment, if something happens to Joe Biden, I would not want her to be the president. But Stacey Abrams, not, not, only because she's a black woman, but because she's an everyday person. Mm-hmm. She's, she, she is honest about her student loan debt, right? She is honest about her brother that's in and out of jail, right? She's not, she's not pretentious. She is very everyday. And for somebody that has been in D.C. as long as he has, he needs that every day. He needs that progressive every day, that Southern progressive every day that Stacey Abrams will bring to the table. So I would love to see Stacey Abrams. Yeah, that Stacey Abrams is my choice, number my number one choice, and so because she's my number one choice, I work for the assumption that there's no way in the world a Dem is going to pick her. So my uh, bet is that he he takes Kamala Harris, and it, Kamala Harris is an interesting thing, uh, Candace. I didn't we didn't talk about this before, but I'm gonna. I saw this uh, funny bit that Trevor Noah did about Kamala Harris, where he, he essentially made it seem like she's the white person's favorite candidate, and. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was the 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 punchline of the joke uh, that white people love Kamala Harris, and uh, the 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 underlining theme being that black people don't like her, we, or as much. Um, Which I don't think that's true. Like I know black people who love her, yeah. um, and I know there's a lot of other black people like me who wanted to like her. Mm-hmm. I took a look at the policies and was like. Damn, you're worse than Corey. Like, I wanted to like her. My kid even has a book about her growing up. Like, I wanted to like her. I just, and I do, as a black woman in a political arena, I do look up to her. But I'm not sure that I want someone with her history uh, when it comes to putting black and brown, especially men in jail, that I want her as my vice president. Well, uh, I bet you will get her as your vice presidential candidate. And my guess is in three months, you'll be singing her praise. Uh, I will not. Okay, we'll see. I will not. Okay, we're gonna hold. Let's let's keep this one on record because I think about in September you'll be like Ben. Did I tell you how much I love Kamala Harris? Uh, nah. But you know the funny thing about the Trevor Noah joke, I laugh because, and I know you and I had this conversation because you were coming on the show on a regular basis. Uh, after the debates, when we break down the debates, and remember, mm-hmm. I was like, going through that. I'm drinking the Kamala Kool Aid phase of. The you were drinking the Kamala Kool Aid <laughs> hard, like a lot of it. Because she went after Biden in that first debate. You, you remember how hard she, she... did, yeah. and that was awesome. However, when you get to her, oh, honestly, I like Amy Amy Klobuchar until you get to some of her records. And when she was state's attorney and some of the things that she did. Yeah. 
I mean, you don't get past that. Well, they're all um, relatively trivial compared to what Donald Trump's doing on an everyday basis. So uh, that's the bottom line. Exactly. Uh, That's the bottom line in that. All right. Now, the final issue before we pivot to Chicago, and we already talked about this before we went on the air, the sexual uh, assault charge against Joe Biden, uh, Tara Reid's assault charge. Uh, I've been sending all my guests the uh, essay that Michelle Goldberg wrote in the New York Times. New York Times was very late to this issue. And they have been subjected to a lot of criticism, uh, a lot of it justified, in my humble opinion, about how they've been dealing with it. But I'll put, I'll put the media issue to the side for the moment. What I liked about Michelle Goldberg's column, and that's why I sent it to people, it's like a cheat sheet, uh, Candace. It, it kind of like it condenses uh, the arguments, the uh, accusation. It shows the weaknesses uh, in the accusation, some of the inconsistencies. It, sh- it talks about how... The accusation is being used by Republicans to undermine Democrats, how Democrats are a little shaky on the issue. It kind of just distills a, a, a very complicated issue with a lot of subplots in uh, to one readable essay. So that's why I urge everybody to read it. Um, how serious do you take this accusation? I'm having a very big problem with it as a woman, as a mother, as a woman that believes in her story, not his story, I am having a problem with it. She gave two or three different accounts until this last account. Oh, is my shoulders and my hair and... And now it was something totally different. I'm having a problem with that. Even her brother changed his story. The friend has changed her story. I'm having a problem with all of this. Um, I'm, I'm struggling a lot with that. Yes, because I definitely believe in believing women, right? But now you change your story three times. Like, that's that's a lot. So, I don't know. I I don't know. I'm battling with it. However, this is one woman. We unfortunately we have to wait and see, but I'm sure he won't have the 16 women that came after Trump, mm-hmm. the defamation of character lawsuits, or the porn star. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying one is right. That's not what I'm saying at all. But when you when you still stack them up against each other, I'm just having a hard time believing her story, and it's hurtful. As a woman, as a woman that believes in believing in women, the fact that I read that and say, I don't know, that's hurtful. Well, you know, in some ways there's a parallel to what we're talking about with the pandemic. There's a political uh, spin on every single issue in this country. So, you know, uh, the sexual, the, the, the accusation against Joe Biden uh, will be used by Republicans to undercut Democrats and their credibility when they say, well, look how outraged you were by Brett Kavanaugh. You don't share that outrage uh, for uh, Joe Biden. It'll use, be used by Democrats to say to Republicans, oh, but you, you somehow other tolerate Donald Trump with his 16 to 23. I forget how many accusations are against him. And in the same thing in the pandemic where you have uh, Donald Trump trying to uh, play two games at once, say, oh, I really believe in caring for the safety and the security of Americans. At the same time, I want to undercut the credibility of the Pritzkers of the world and the Cuomos of the world, but they say they're stifling the, the economy. So it's politics is going to be involved, uh, Candace, in absolutely everything. There's no issue that will be free of political spin. That's a reality. And, uh, I mean, there'll be no issue that is free of political spin, but even Trump, right? Even Trump, when he was trying to bring up 
the women that Bill Clinton um, dealt with, even he ended up backing off of that because it's like, ah, I'm not sure I want to play that guy. Well, what what that did when he did when, when Donald Trump, I remember that so well, uh, that was right after the uh, the tape, the Hollywood Access tape came out right before a debate. Mm-hmm. And uh, so suddenly Donald Trump is is confronting one of the most embarrassing moments I've ever seen any elected official in the middle of a campaign face caught on tape. You can't deny it. Can't blame it on the uh, uh, on the media, although I'm sure he tried. And so what did he do? He said, well, Clinton did the same thing. And that gave a lot of people in America uh, a pass to say, you know, all right, I'm going to vote for him anyway. So that was, again, a brilliant political move by Donald Trump. But the people underestimated his political prowess. Uh, And then a lot of Democrats were embarrassed, Candace, because they had supported Bill Clinton back in the day in the 90s. Uh, this is long before your time, but back in the 90s, they supported him, even though the, <laughs> there were all these allegations and accusations against him. So, you know, it's like I say, it, politics, It's it, 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 there's a lot of political spin, and you try to uh, sort out the truth. It's, it can be very difficult. I don't believe it's going to be an issue in this campaign unless uh, some more women come out. I actually don't believe it's going to be an issue. Do you agree with that point? I agree to a certain extent. What will be an issue is COVID-19. But we all have to remember who delivered the White House for Trump. And it was white women that 53% voted for him. So we have to remember who delivered the White House for Trump. And then we have to go back to the record and look at who delivered the White House for Obama. What I'm saying in this moment, when I've taken a step back this past week and started saying is we must take Wisconsin as a symbol and a signal. Republicans tried everything, everything, to get that Supreme Court seat for that white conservative man. Daniel Kelly. And he still lost. Mm -hmm. That should be our rallying cry going through this. And uh, Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa said it best. I'm not voting for Joe, Joe Biden. I'm voting for competency. I'm voting for a Supreme Court. I'm voting for an attorney general. I'm not voting for Biden per se because it's Biden. I'm voting for all of those people and all those things. You cannot like Biden all day. But we cannot keep living under any court that says during a pandemic, oh, yeah, you got to go out and vote. You can't delay your election. Or an attorney general that doesn't want to have real conversations about the conditions in our federal prison. So you cannot like them all day. But those are the things that we need to be voting for. All right, let's swing it to the local election. I agree with everything you just said there. Uh, and uh, local issue, alderman of prerogative. I've, I, I almost enjoy talking about this, uh, Candace, because as I tell Dennis all the time, it's like bringing back the old days when I could uh, really take the deep dive on local issues and not, you know, not have to worry about uh, the, the fate of civilization in the middle of a plague. But aldermanic prerogative was, of course, in my opinion, feel free to vigorously disagree with me, completely fictitious, made-up issue. It doesn't really exist. It's the mayor of the city of Chicago who uh, controls uh, permits. The the mayor essentially lets aldermen have the say until the mayor doesn't want the aldermen to have the say. And and then the the mayor will step in. But uh, this, this phony issue... Uh, was put forth by so-called reformers and some of my liberal friends uh, as sort of like the bane of existence in Chicago. The reason why aldermen are corrupt is they have too much power, so we should put more power in the hands of the mayor, which I just completely disagree with that one. Go ahead. I'm not sure if it was really put forth by your liberal friends. It's so, yes, I know the history of charter schools. Yes, I can talk about it all day. 
but it was kind of like, it's kind of like charter schools to me. It's kind of like your lefty friends might have come up with it, but your friends on the right took it, put it on their back, and ran with it. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, it might have been like, yeah, automatic prerogative is not great, especially if it's an alderman that doesn't want to do whatever big business wanted to do. So today it came out that the mayor is going to fine Hillco, yay, for $68,000. That's it. That's it. $68,000. Okay. I think that's around the that's around the amount of money that the lowest paid staff person in her office makes. That's it. That's nothing. That's a drop in the bucket for them. So the fact that the alderman, which is Mike Rodriguez, found out about it and was like, No, y'all can't do this right now, no. And was told, I'll have all these guarantees. Yes, no, you'll have all these guarantees. The dust won't leave the plant area. Yeah, whatever, whatever. These businesses know that the alderman has no teeth to enforce that. None. At all. And they don't care. They want to do whatever they want to do. And it's not, it doesn't always have to be something as big as he'll come. So Alderman Taylor has a process for anybody that wants to open a business and award. You have to, in a certain mile radius, go and talk to the people that live in the community. And then you have to have a meeting. Period. You have to give them the details. You have to talk to them. Because they will be your neighbors. And there's a method to that madness. If your store gets broken into nine out of ten times, your neighbors will have seen something or said or will be willing to say something. But if you're not a good neighbor, if they didn't want you there in the first place, no, they're not gonna be. And they're gonna they're gonna patronize your business. They're gonna come to your business because they wanted you there. They were. They are invested in you being there. We have a process. So there's a smoke shop that's opening up. It's not open yet. It's opening up. They've already been given their tobacco license. They were given the tobacco license. They applied for it before talking to the alderman. And then they did really try to go through they are trying to go through her procedure. Okay. The city has already given them their tobacco license. So they don't need to now because they have it. And we were notified. But they're like, oh, well, you can't do anything to stop it. Even if the neighbors don't want it there, there's nothing we can do to stop it. So this whole automatic prerogative thing is you're giving all of this power to these non-elected commissioners. And you are skipping over the power that you as a voter gave to your elected aldermen. Your elected aldermen are accountable to you. Your selected commissioners are not. Yeah, I I, uh, I believe it's anti-democratic, a small d democratic, and uh, that the city should reconsider this. Now, I know at this moment in time, uh, the city is so concentrated on dealing with the pandemic, uh, but there will be a return to normalcy. Actually, it's it's an issue right now because, uh, as uh, Candace was alluding to, the city in its infinite wisdom decided it was a good idea to give a demolition permit to Hilco, a company that was doing a redevelopment deal in Little Village. We talked about this on the show a lot. It's been in the newspapers. Uh, And as part of that uh, redevelopment plan, they demolished uh, a smokestack and they admitted 
uh, ash and soot, dirt all throughout the community. And suddenly when at the very moment uh, when it's really imperative that we not clog people's lungs with toxics and pollutants, guess what we're doing? We're clogging our lungs with that. Uh, and so in the aftermath, everybody's pointing the finger at everybody else. But the reality is this, that demolition permit should never, ever, ever have been uh, issued in the first place in the middle of this pandemic, we should have held off. Said, well, you know, maybe it's not a good idea to do this at this at this moment. And Michael Rodriguez, the local alderman, is saying, I try to get it stopped, but I have I was powerless to do so. Now, um yeah. and uh and so Lori Lightfoot, she's a she's a skillful counterpuncher, Candace. She's coming back showing say, Well, you know, uh you didn't push hard enough or uh, in the past, uh, you said uh, you were for the end of alderman and prerogative. So, again, it turns it into uh, a, a political issue. But the reality is the bottom line is this. Uh, Michael Rodriguez will be held accountable by the people of his ward for looking out for their best Absolutely. interest. And that's it. That's why don't have 50 aldermen, uh, Candace, if you're not going to give them this, this kind of control. Cut it down to 12. Uh, you or know? you want them to be a rubber stamp. I mean, so here's here's the thing. I think it's a difference between aldermanic prerogative and the will of the constituent. Hear me out. Okay. If we have, if he'll come, if Mike Rodriguez said, owner Rodriguez said, he'll come, you got to have a community meeting to tell the community how you are going to take this smokestack down. And if the community is okay with that, then I'm fine with that. That's not all the manic prerogative. That's not the ultimate just doing what they want to do. That's the community saying, you know, I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with that plan. That's the community saying that. Just like in the case with the smoke shop in our ward. There's a lot of neighbors that are saying, we don't want that. That's that's not what we want over here because of A, B, C, or D. Fine. That's different than there's one alderman on the south side who didn't want a daycare center um, somewhere because it was so close to bars. Even though I understood his legitimate point, he decided, well, I'm just not going to give them parking, the parking, the letters for the parking that they need in front of the daycare. Now, that that's different than a community meeting and having a discussion about what people want or don't want in their ward. People in Chicago aren't stupid. And once you ask them to become civically engaged, once they become civically engaged, it's different. You will hear from people, we want this or we don't want this. And pass voting, right? So, I mean, those are two real different things. In this case, nobody listens to the people in Little Village because the community, and I'm sure Alderman Rodriguez did, but the community had been saying, we don't trust it. We don't trust it. And what did the business office do and the building department do? They gave the department anyway. Yeah, I look forward to uh, the investigation, uh, getting at the bottom of this one. All right, Candace Castillo, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And um, I want you to stay safe and secure and sound. Don't listen to Donald Trump. The pandemic is oh, real. I, I turn on the Food <laughs> Network when it's time to um, listen to Donald Trump. Oh, I, I do. I just change. Ghost Adventures, anything else is better than his. All right, very good. Don't listen to Donald Trump, particularly when he's giving health advice. Uh, take care of yourself. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon, Ben. You take care of yourself, too. Will do. That's the great Candace Castillo. I'm Ben Jarofsky, and that's another bonus show. Take care, everybody.